Welcome to the Living the Dream podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. And today, I am joined by special guest Dan Chodakoff. He is an author as well as an award-winning activist. And we're going to be talking about his new book, Sugaring Down, Covering the Social Turmoil in the 1960s. So, Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, thanks for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. I live in a small town in northeastern Vermont. Uh, I was a college professor for 32 years. I have my PhD in cultural anthropology. Almost 50 years ago, I co-founded the Institute for Social Ecology, which is activist educational organization. Been teaching classes and doing workshops with various movements over the years, radical ecology movement, essentially. I've written one other novel, my previous novel, which was called Low East Side. It was about anarchist squatters on New York's Lower East Side. And I've published a collection of essays called The Anthropology of Utopia, essays in social ecology and community development. I have a wife, two daughters. We live in rural Vermont. We have a large garden. We work actively to try to combat climate change in any way that we can, both on a personal level and a political level. And that's, in a nutshell, me and sort of what I'm up to these days. Well, tell us about your Institute for Social Ecology. Tell us what you guys do exactly, and tell us what social ecology is for those who might not know. Okay. You know, it's it's a set of ideas, body of ideas, that it's based on interdisciplinary studies that examine people's relationship to the natural world. We look at it historically. We look at it in contemporary terms, try to understand the source of some of the problems that we're having, like climate change. Uh, We were early on, back in the 1970s, early advocates of solar energy and wind power. We were doing it on an experimental basis up here in Vermont, and people thought we were crazy. And of course, now we're looking at the energy future of the planet. Uh, So, The Institute has sort of always been out there on the cutting edge of various social and ecological issues. We've worked with a variety of activist groups over the year. We've taught classes at sort of both formal and informal. We've had an MA program. We've had done popular education for many years and uh, have, I think, had an impact on a variety of movements all around the world that are concerned with creating a better future. Because in addition to looking at contemporary problems and the history of people's relationship with nature, we've also tried to think creatively about how people can re-envision and recreate their relationship with nature and their relationship with each other. Social ecology really sees problems with hierarchy and domination as the ultimate cause of our ecological problem. And that the attempt to dominate nature, which has proven to be so destructive, really grows out of people's attempts to dominate other people. So 
as a result, of course, we find that we have to be uh, involved in movements for human rights and for social ecology, not just environmental issues. So anyway, that's a little bit about the Institute, and I could go on and on for hours. So <laughs> I think maybe I'd rather talk about the book and, and have a discussion with you about what's going on with you. Absolutely. Well, well, before we get into the book, let's talk about what started you to actually be an author. What what made you want to start writing? Yeah. Well, you know, as an academic, I was always writing. And you know, as an anthropologist, uh, one of the fields of anthropology that I was involved in was ethnography, which is writing about cultures. And it's really a form of storytelling. You know, it's not... The perspective from which I approach anthropology is not that it's a hard science, but rather it's a, it's one of the humanities. So you're telling stories and you're interpreting cultures and people's lives. And from there, it seemed a very natural step to me to move to fiction, which is something that I've always loved reading myself and been engaged with. And the, the leap was not a huge one in, in that sense. I guess what I wanted to do was to try to look at some of the same issues, some of the same social concerns that social ecology and the Institute for Social Ecology look at, but I wanted to present them in a format that would be more accessible, more interesting for people. Uh, you know, only a, you publish an academic article, and if you're lucky, 300 people will read it. It can certainly have an impact, and I'm not trying to devalue that or suggest it's not important, but I wanted to reach a different audience. I wanted to make the ideas more accessible to people, and I wanted to do it in a way that was compelling and hopefully engaged people uh, and gave them some insight as well as some enjoyment. So that was my goal in starting beginning to write fiction. And then as I got into it, I discovered, I think, as a lot of authors do, that the process itself was really rewarding and really fun, engaging. So I continued on that path. Well, let's talk about your biggest influences. Who influences you? Are there any authors or any other writers that you look to for inspiration when you write? Yeah, there certainly are. You know, I mean, as I think the first authors that really engaged me are sort of classic American authors, people like John Steinbeck. And, and I remember as a kid reading Jack London stories and falling in love with that. Uh, you know, then certainly work of people like Howard Norman influenced me as we go on, particularly as a Vermont author, a, a guy named Howard Frank Mosier. Uh, also had an influence on me. Found the work of Russell Banks very interesting and very engaging. I've enjoyed reading works by lots of different folks, lots of voices of people of color. Alice Walker certainly had a big impact on me. Probably the most impactful uh, person who who really really opened my eyes to how you can create characters and, and draw on lived experience to create something compelling was Grace Paley. I was lucky enough to know personally and was good friends with her husband, Bob Nichols, who's someone else. He was a writer of utopian fiction, speculative fiction, who really influenced me as well. So, you know, and, and the literary tradition is so vast and so full of incredible, you know, Herman Melville. I mean, Moby Dick, my God, what a work of <laughs> unbelievable. And, you know, and I've enjoyed more kind of genre authors as well. Jean Le Carre, somebody whose work I really like. 
Well, kind of tell us about your essays. You know, you also write essays. So just kind of tell us those are about and why you decided to start doing those. Yeah, a lot of them, you know, the essay, the book is actually a collection of essays that were written over a period of about 20 years. And they're all more or less on themes related to anthropology or social and or social ecology. Anthropology has contributed a lot to social ecology over the years. And they range on over a variety of subjects. I write a couple of essays in there about development, the process of international development, the way in which it's really become a form of sort of new neocolonialism and has given power to multinational corporations and multinational institutions like the World Bank to determine the course of of peoples and cultures and nations in a fashion that really benefits them, meaning the the people who are doing the financing and the investing. So a, a critique of traditional forms of development. And then there's an essay in there on the process of community development, which I discuss in terms of actually creating community and creating connections between people, affective relationships. And a lot of that was based on my experience working for a number of years in the Lower East Side neighborhood of New York's Lower East Side, the Hispanic neighborhood there, which was really a ghetto at the time, where local folks, mostly a Puerto Rican ghetto, where local folks came together and started squatting in abandoned buildings and rebuilt them uh, through a process known as sweat equity, urban homesteading, created cooperative, low-income cooperative housing there. And I got involved when they called on the Institute for us to give some technical assistance on installing solar collectors on their roofs. And it was really the first urban application of solar energy anywhere in the world. And the community development process there, of course, was much more comprehensive as well and involved creating community gardens and vacant lots and recreational spaces for kids in vacant lots, creating community center and an abandoned school. There's been actually for the past 20 years a struggle going on to regain that community center after it was auctioned off by Rudy Giuliani as his last official act as mayor of New York. He declared the era of socialism is over on the Lower East Side, and he auctioned off the community center. So people have been struggling to get that back for 20 years. Anyway, so that essay is based on those experiences, which were quite formative for me. There's an essay in there about education. There's a critique of anthropology called Reinventing Anthropology. There's, oh, some essays that discuss the role of alternative technology at a community scale in the process of community development. Uh, there's an essay about utopia, about the concept of utopias, which was an anthropological interest of mine, looking at them both historically in terms of philosophical utopias and also exploring what I call people's utopias, utopian social movements, movements that actually tried to bring a new society into being and didn't simply write about it or speculate about it. So, you know, it's a pretty wide-ranging book, but those are the major themes that it addresses. Absolutely. So tell us how you came up with the name of the book. Just kind of tell readers, you know, I know you kind of said it was a book of essays, but just kind of tell readers what they can expect to get out of it when they read it and where to purchase it from. It's called The Anthropology of Utopia, and the title just, I don't know, it was, it's 
something that I've studied, the anthropology of utopia. And I know it sounds like a non sequitur. How can you, how can you study the culture of a place that doesn't exist? But, you know, the word utopia has two distinct meanings. It was coined in 1515 by Sir Thomas More. He said both roots came from the ancient Greek. The first, the word Autopia, which means no place, and that's, you know, cloud cuckoo land, a fantasy, something unrealizable. And the other is the word utopia, which means the good place. And the good place is someplace that presumably and hopefully is attainable, but we certainly haven't got there yet. So it's this, that's sort of the, that meaning is played with in one of the essays. And that's the inspiration for the title of the book. And the subtitle is Essays on social ecology and community development. And it's published by New Compass Press. You can get it through Amazon. I think it's distributed, I think, by AK Books in this country. Uh, yeah, so that, that's that's one book. Talk about your book, Sugaring Down. Yeah, absolutely. That's my new novel. And I'm quite excited about it. As I mentioned, I do live in northern Vermont, and I've lived here for over 50 years on and off. And over the time that I've lived here, I've, I've really come to love Vermont. And one of the things that I wanted to do was write a book that was based in Vermont and that addressed really the, the sense of place, the strong, almost overwhelming sense of place that Vermont imparts. It's, you know, here nature is not something out there. It's very much an integral part of everyday life and often determines how your everyday life goes. We have very severe, long winters here. Uh, so I wanted to really give a reader a sense of that and celebrate that environment, that place. And I wanted to explore uh, some themes that emerged from my own experience in the 1960s in the anti-war movement, in the communal movement here in Vermont. Uh, I wanted to be able to look at the ways that the counterculture and the anti-war movement merged which was very apparent here. I wanted to look at ways in which the anti-war movement was really torn apart when it turned towards violence. And that's an ongoing theme in this book, is sort of the tension between nonviolent action and violent action and the consequences of each. And it's also, it explores a relationship. There's a love story. It takes place on a commune in Vermont in 1968. They call it a collective, actually, to distinguish it from a hippie commune. They're former members of SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, which was a large anti-war organization, 300,000 members, chapters at 300 universities. Uh, they, they were a little burned out. They moved to Vermont to sort of rethink their strategy, to grow vegetables they could provide for the Black Panthers uh, free lunch program, to to be a refuge for people who were needing a, some time out from the movement. They were a way station. They were helping to smuggle AWOL soldiers into Canada and helping draft resistors across the border. All of that going on at the commune. At the same time, they're trying to survive in Vermont. They want to be as self-sufficient as possible. They want to grow a garden. They're living on an old farm that was purchased by some relatives of one of their members from an old farmer. And he and his wife live down the road from them in a trailer. But they have a wealth of knowledge about Vermont, about surviving the winter, about growing food, about getting along with your neighbors. 
and they really become sort of mentors for the people living on the commune. At the same time, there are people in town who are who are very right-wing and very threatened by their presence and very much opposed to what they're doing and they're going to make it difficult for them to be there. So there's that tension as well. And the story develops as this, we see relationships come together and fall apart. The plot develops as the main couple that the book and the book, which the book is narrated by it as two first person narrators. And they're part of this founding couple of the commune. Uh, They fall out with each other around a, the issue of violence versus nonviolence and go on two very different paths. And we sort of follow their trajectories along and things come together in the end when they reunite under very distressing circumstances. Let's leave it at that. I don't want to give anything away for the reader here, but there's, there's all of that going on in the book and, and there are other dimensions to it as well. There is, as I said, I think maybe a love story in there between David and Jill, the the two main characters. There's a dog story. I think I mentioned how much I loved Jack London when I was a kid. And I was able, really, it was quite interesting because it involved a a real re-examination of that period, both from a personal level, looking at my own experiences and, of course, drawing on that as authors do in one way or another but also doing archival research and sort of rediscovering some of these events and, and people who I had known. So it was a, it was a pretty uh, engrossing endeavor, let's put it that way. And I found it was interesting because when I was thinking back about some of the, the things that I, some of the events that I use in the book, I actually ended up having to tone a lot of it down to make it believable. Uh, I don't, you know, I'm a child of the sixties and I have to tell you it was, a pretty wild time. Uh, there was a lot going on. So it was an interesting voyage for me writing this book. Well, go ahead and throw out your contact information so people can know where to connect with you and keep up with all your writings, your any websites, any social media links. Sorry to say I really don't. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not very techno savvy and i i don't really use social media i people can send me an email if they'd like uh, it's just dan Ch- d choderkoff d c h o d o r k o f f at gmail.com and i'll be happy to respond to that if folks are interested in the book i would suggest that they order it through their local bookstore it's distributed by ingram published by fomite press and your local bookstore can certainly get a hold of it for you. It's also available on Amazon and and all of that, of course, too. So, Do you have any upcoming things that you're working on, any projects that people need to know about? Well, I am working on a new book, but I can't say exactly what it's about at this point. <laughs> it's... Uh, you know, once again, drawing on memories and experience, but there's an unreliable narrator, and I'm I'm still really figuring out where it's going to go. Okay, well, go ahead and close the listeners out with some final thoughts. Anything that maybe we didn't touch on that you would like to talk about? Uh, you know, as I said, I, I really do welcome the opportunity. I just, yeah, I think there's Sugaring Down is is a book that's very difficult to classify. It's 
some reviewers have called it historical fiction. And, and I suppose it is because the events that it talks about took place 50 years ago, a little more even. But it feels, it still feels very immediate to me. And the issues that it is trying to sort through, I think, are very contemporary still. So in that sense, it doesn't feel like a historical novel to me. Uh, on the other hand, I don't know how I would cl- classify it. It's, it's political fiction, radical political fiction. Uh, you know, if you have an interest in social movements, if you have an interest in social change, I clearly I'm biased, but I think it's worth reading. So I would encourage folks to take a look at it. And also, if anything I've said tonight strikes a chord with you, I suggest you check out the Institute for Social Ecology. And we do have a web page which is uh, social-ecology.org. So folks can look at that. And you can find some of my essays on that website as well. And that's also a way that folks can reach me if they would like to. Absolutely. Social-ecology.org. Be sure to check out Dan Chodakoff's writing. Pick up his new book. Check out his essays. Listeners, please be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible after listening. And Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. You take care. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.